Chapter Twelve of Ormond by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. White Connell and his father. We name the son first because his superior wealth, inverting the order of nature, gave him, in his own opinion, the precedency on all occasions. White Connell and his father arrived at Corney Castle king corney rejoiced to see his old friend the elder connell but through all the efforts that his majesty made to be more than civil to the son the degenerate grazier his future son-in-law it was plain that he was only keeping his promise and receiving such a guest as he ought to be received mademoiselle decided that old connell the father was quite a gentleman for he handed her about and in his way had some politeness towards the sex but as for the son her abhorrence must have burst forth in plain english if it had not exhaled itself safely in french in every exclamation of contempt which the language could afford she called him bete and grand bete by turns butor anne and grand butor nigo and grand nigo pronounced him to be an homme qui ne dit rien d'ailleurs un homme qui n'a pas l'air comme il faut un homme enfin qui n'est pas présentable même enfin de mari dora looked unutterable things but this was not unusual with her her scornful airs and short answers were not more decidedly rude to white connell than to others indeed she was rather more civil to him than to ormond there was nothing in her manner of keeping connell at a distance beyond what he who had not much practice or skill in the language of female coquetry might construe into maiden coyness to the acknowledged husband-lover it seemed as if she had some secret hope or fear or reason for not coming to open war in short as usual she was odd if not unintelligible white connell did not disturb himself at all to follow her doublings his pleasure was not in the chase he was sure the game was his own be bold but not too bold white connell be negligent but not too negligent of the destined bride tis bad as you say to be spoiling a wife before marriage but what if she should never be your wife thought some that was a contingency that never had occurred to white connell had he not horses and saddles and bridles and bits finer than had ever been seen before in the black islands and had he not thousands of sheep and hundreds of oxen and had he not the finest pistols and the most famous fowling-pieces and had he not thousands in paper and thousands in gold and if he lived would he not have tens of thousands more and had he not brought with him a plan of Connellstown, the name by which he dignified a snug slated lodge he had upon one of his farms an elevation of the house to be built and of the offices that had been built he had so but it happened one day when connell was going to ride out with dora that just as he mounted her veil fluttering before his horse's eyes startled the animal and the awkward rider being unable to manage him 
king corney begged harry ormond to change horses with him that mr connell might go quietly beside dora who was a bit of a coward imprudent father harry obeyed and the difference between the riders and the gentlemen was but too apparent for what avails it that you have the finest horse if another ride him better what avails it that you have the finest saddle if another become it better what use to you your wogden pistols if another hit the mark you miss what avails the finest fowling-piece to the worst sportsman the thousands upon thousands to him who says but little and says that little ill what avail that the offices at connellstown be finished dog-kennel and all or what boots it that the plan and elevation of connellstown be unrolled and submitted to the fair one's inspection and remarks if the fair disdain to inspect and if she remark only that a cottage and love are more to her taste white connell put none of these questions to himself he went on his own way faint heart never won fair lady then no doubt he was in a way to win for his heart never quailed his colour never changed when he saw his fair one's furtive smiles or heard her aunt's open praises of the youth by whom riding dancing shooting speaking or silent he was always eclipsed connell of connellstown despised harry ormond of no town viewed him with scornful but not with jealous eyes idle jealousies were far from connell's thoughts he was intent upon the noble recreation of cock-fighting cock-fighting had been the taste of his boyish days before he became a money-making man and at every interval of business at each intermission of the passion of avarice when he had leisure to think of amusement this his first idea of pleasure recurred since he came to corney castle he had at sundry times expressed to his father his hope in heaven that before they would leave the black islands they should get some good fun cock-fighting for it was a poor case for a man that is not used to it to be tied to a woman's apron-strings twirling his thumbs all the mornings for form's sake there was a strolling kind of gentleman in the islands a mr otara who was a famous cock-fighter otara came one day to dine at corney castle the kindred souls found each other out and an animated discourse across the table commenced concerning cocks after dinner as the bottle went round the rival cock-fighters warmed to enthusiasm in praise of their birds each relating wonders they finished by proposing a match laying bets and dispatching messengers and hampers for their favourites the cocks arrived and were put in separate houses under the care of separate feeders moriarty carroll who was curious and something of a sportsman had a mind to have a peep at the cocks opening the door of one of the buildings hastily he disturbed the cock who taking fright flew about the barn with such violence as to tear off several of his feathers and very much to deface his appearance unfortunately at this instant white connell and mr otara came by and finding what had happened 
abused moriarty with all the vulgar eloquence which anger could supply ormond who had been with moriarty but who had no share in the disaster endeavoured to mitigate the fury of white connell and apologised to mr otara otara was satisfied shook hands with ormond and went off but white connell's anger lasted longer for many reasons he disliked ormond and thinking from harry's gentleness that he might venture to insult him returned to the charge and becoming high and brutal in his tone said that mr ormond had committed an ungentlemanlike action which it was easier to apologize for than to defend harry took fire and instantly was much more ready than his opponent wished to give any other satisfaction that mr connell desired well name his hour his place to-morrow morning six o'clock in the east meadow out of reach and sight of all ormond said or he was ready at that instant if mr connell pleased he hated he said to bear malice he could not sleep upon it moriarty now stepping up privately besought mr connell's honour for heaven and earth's sake to recollect if he did not know it what a desperate good shot mr harry notoriously was always what you rascal are you here still cried white connell hold your peace how dare you speak between gentlemen moriarty begged pardon and departed the hint he had given however operated immediately upon white connell this scatterbrained young ormond said he to himself desires nothing better than to fight very natural he has nothing to lose in the world but his bare life neither money nor landed property as i have to quit in leaving the world unequal odds not worth my while to stand his shot for the feather of a cock concluded connell as he pulled to pieces one of the feathers which had been the original cause of all the mischief thus cooled and suddenly become reasonable he lowered his tone declaring that he did not mean to say anything in short that could give offence nothing but what it was natural for any man in the heat of passion to say and it was enough to put a man in passion at first sight to see his favourite bird disfigured if he had said anything too strong he hoped mr ormond would excuse it ormond knew what the heat of passion was and was willing to make all proper allowances white connell made more than proper apologies and ormond rejoiced that the business was ended but white connell conscious that he had first bullied then quailed and that if the story were repeated it would tell to his disadvantage made it his anxious request that he would say nothing to cornelius o'shane of what had passed between them lest it should offend cornelius who he knew was so fond of mr ormond harry eased the gentleman's mind by promising that he would never say a word about the matter mr connell was not content till this promise was solemnly repeated even this though it seemed quite to satisfy him at the time did not afterwards relieve connell from the uneasy consciousness he felt in ormond's company he could bear it only the remainder of this day the next morning he left the black islands having received letters of business 
he said which required his immediate presence at connell's town many at corney castle seemed willing to dispense with his further stay but king corney true to his word and his character took leave of him as his son-in-law and only as far as hospitality required was ready to speed the parting guest at parting white connell drew his future father-in-law aside and gave him a hint that he had better look sharp after that youth he was fostering harry ormond do you mean said o'shane i do said connell but mr o'shane don't go to mistake me i am not jealous of the man not capable of such a fellow as that a wild scatterbrains who is not worth a sixpence scarce i have too good an opinion of miss dora but if i was in your place her father just for the look of the thing in the whole country i should not like it not that i mind what people say a potato skin but still if i was her father i'd as soon have the devil an inmate and intimate in my house muzzling in my daughter's ear behind backs cornelius o'shane stoutly stood by his young friend he never saw harry ormond muzzling behind backs especially did not believe any such thing all harry said and did was always above board and before faces anyway in short said cornelius i will answer for harry ormond's honour with my own honour after that twould be useless to add with my life if required that of course and this ought to satisfy any son-in-law who was a gentleman none such could glance or mean to reflect on dora connell perceiving he had overshot himself made protestations of his innocence of the remotest intention of glancing at or reflecting upon or imagining anything but what was perfectly angelic and proper in miss dora miss o'shane then that was all as it should be mr o'shane said so far but another point he would not concede to mortal man was he fifty times his son-in-law promised that was his own right to have who he pleased and willed to have at his own castle his inmate and his intimate no doubt to be sure connell said he did not mean he only meant he could not mean in short he meant nothing at all only just to put mr o'shane on his guard that was all he meant foo said cornelius o'shane but checking the expression of his contempt for the man he made an abrupt transition to connell's horse which had just come to the door that's a handsome horse certainly you are well mounted mr connell o'shane's elision of contempt was beyond mr connell's understanding or feeling well mounted certainly i am that and ever will be while i can so well afford it said connell mounting his horse and identifying himself with the animal he sat proudly then bowing to the ladies who were standing at an open window good day to ye ladies till october when i hope but his horse who did not seem quite satisfied of his identity with the man would not permit him to say more and off he went half his hopes dispersed in empty air i know i wish 
said cornelius o'shane to himself as he stood on the steps looking after the man and horse i wish that that unlucky bowl of punch had remained forever unmixed at the bottom of which i found this son-in-law for my poor daughter my innocent dora then unborn but she must make the best of him for me and herself since the fates and my word irrevocable as the sticks have bound me to him the purse-proud grazier and mean man not a remnant of a gentleman as the father was oh my poor dora as king corney heaved a heartfelt sigh very difficult to force from his anti-sentimental bosom harry ormond with a plate of meat in his hand whistling to his dog to follow him ran down the steps leave feeding that dog and come here to me harry said o'shane and answer me truly such questions as i shall ask truly if i answer at all said harry answer you must when i ask you every man every gentleman must answer in all honour for what he does certainly answer for what he does said harry for foo come none of your tricks upon prepositions to gain time i never knew you to do the like you'll give me a worse opinion i'm no schoolmaster nor you a grammarian i hope to be equivocating on monosyllables equivocate i never equivocated sir said harry don't begin now then said cornelius i've enough to put me out of humour already so answer straight like yourself what's this you've done to get the ill-will of white connell that's just gone surprised and embarrassed ormond answered i trust i have not his ill-will sir you have sir said o'shane is it possible cried harry when we shook hands you must have misunderstood or have been misinformed how do you know my dear sir i know it from the man's own lips see i can give you a straight answer at once now answer me was there any quarrel between you and what cause of offence did you give excuse me sir those are questions which i cannot answer your blush young man answers me enough and too much mark me i thought i could answer for your honour with my own and i did so thank you sir and you shall never have reason don't interrupt me young man what reason can i have to judge of the future but from the past i am not an idiot to be bothered with fair words oh sir can you suspect i suspect nothing harry ormond i am i thank my god above suspicion listen to me you know whether i ever told it you before or not i can't remember but whether or not you know as well as if you were with inside of me that in my heart's core there's not a man alive i should have preferred for my son-in-law to the man i once thought harry ormond without a penny once thought interrupt me again and i'll leave you sir in confidence between ourselves thinking as once i did that i might depend on your friendship and discretion equally with your honour i confessed i repented a rash promise and let you see my regret deep enough that my son-in-law will never be what dora deserves i said or let you see as much no matter which 
i am no equivocator nor do i now unsay or retract a word you have my secret but remember when first i had the folly to tell it you same time i warned you i warned you harry like the moth from the candle i warned you in vain in another tone i warn you now young man for the last time i tell you my promise to me is sacred she is as good as married to white connell fairly tied up neck and heels and so am i to all intents and purposes and if i thought it were possible you could consider her or make her by any means consider herself in any other light i will tell you what i would do i would shoot myself for one of us must fall and i wouldn't choose it should be you harry that's all oh hear me sir cried harry seizing his arm as he turned away kill me if you will but hear me i give you my word you are from beginning to end mistaken i cannot tell you the whole but this much believe dora was not the cause of quarrel then there was a quarrel oh for shame for shame you are not used to falsehood enough yet you can't carry it through why did you attempt it with me sir though i can't tell you the truth the foolish truth i tell you no falsehood dora's name a thought of dora never came in question between mr connell and me upon my honour your honour repeated cornelius with a severe look severe more in its sorrow than its anger oh harry ormond what signifies whether the name was mentioned you know she was the thing the cause of offence stop i charge you equivocate no more if a lies beneath a gentleman an equivocation is doubly beneath a man End of chapter twelve